Welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here. It's great to have you with us. If you enjoy our time together, then if you're watching, I'd encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our Facebook page so that you don't miss anything. If you're listening on the podcast, then please follow and subscribe. You can find all our previous services on our website at st-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk as well as information about who we are and what happens and more importantly, how you can join in. Today, I'm delighted to be joined in our worship by Anne and Jim Cowan. Anne will lead our prayers later, but first let's listen as Jim reads for us today. This morning's reading is from Luke. Chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those to send to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Life is complex. It would be really helpful if it wasn't, like in the old western films where the baddies all wore black hats. Although that's not quite true, is it? Yul Brynner's character Chris in The Magnificent Seven is a man in black. Black hat with a black shirt to go. By the rules of the genre, he should be a baddie. But then isn't Chris the very definition of complex? Is he a good man who does bad things for good reasons? Or a bad man who does good? We're never really completely sure. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then it's Denzel Washington's Chisholm in the 2016 remake, but you really should go and watch the original. Anyway, people don't walk about with different coloured hats as signs advertising their moral or political position, except that's not true either. The red caps of Trump's supporters were exactly that. We wear all kinds of things that say something about our identity. We wear club or country colours to show who we support. We wear t-shirts from our favourite bands or go the whole hog and dress in a particular style associated with the music we like. Teddy boys, mods, goths, punks, new romantics and metal. These are subculture styles that say more than you listen to the jam or ACDC or the cult or Duran Duran. There's a whole set of beliefs and behaviours that go with these. Punk wasn't just about studs and spiky hair in the pogo. Punk was a reaction to a pretty straight-laced culture where unemployment, especially among the young, was running at somewhere around 15%. It was a statement of dissatisfaction. And it was also easy to play, so you could start your own band if you had drums and could play three chords on a guitar that didn't even have to be in tune. There was the heavy metal headbanging, the shoegazing shuffle of the goths, and boys wearing more makeup and hairspray than the girls in the 1980s new romantic scene, with Spandau Ballet and Visage and Duran Duran were a reaction to the Thatcher era. It was all about escapism, leaving your job on an assembly line and dressing up to go out to be whatever you wanted to be, rather than what your boss told you to be. 
Music and fashion is so often cultural reaction to the political and moral landscape of the time. We children of the 70s, the Gen Xers, find ourselves in their element with all this talk of impending Armageddon. It takes us back to our youth when Nina topped the charts with 99 red balloons, which was very little to do with children's parties and everything to do with mutually assured destruction. Always with a catchy chorus, of course. But of course, these badges we embrace don't tell us everything. We can generalise, but it's ridiculous to suggest that everyone who likes heavy metal is an unwashed, denim-wearing, jack-and-cold-drinking headbanger. At least that's what my friend Shuna, who's the Minister of Cults Church in Aberdeen and an avid Iron Maiden fan, tells me. Lots of Christians wear crosses, but there's a whole wide spectrum of belief, so we can't just assume that we all agree on everything just because we might wear the same jewellery. And even here in this story from Luke's Gospel, where Jesus is near Jerusalem, the place where he knows it all will end, it's a couple of Pharisees that come to tell Jesus that Herod is out to get him, that he should be careful. That's odd. Not odd that Herod's out to get Jesus, that makes perfect sense. Herod has been out to get him since the Magi wandered into his palace looking for a newborn king. But aren't the Pharisees also out to get him too? The religious leaders have been critical of Jesus since the start. We heard about the religious leaders saying that Jesus could only drive out demons because he was in league with evil. How can evil drive out evil was Jesus' response. It seems that not all the religious leaders thought that though. Here are some Pharisees warning Jesus about the danger he's in. In John's Gospel we hear the story of Nicodemus, one of the ruling council who comes to see Jesus to see for himself just who Jesus is. Nicodemus, it seems, isn't content to take other people's word for it. He's been around long enough to know that politics and power are powerful motivators. They still are. Mix in a mixture of religion and you have a heady cocktail. What's interesting is that it seems these Pharisees either don't know, don't recognise or don't want to admit that their own group is just as dangerous to Jesus. Get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. It could just as easily really mean get lost. You're a problem for us, but we'd rather shift the blame to someone else than admit that. But political and religious leaders would never try to shift the blame onto others, would they? Our own government has begun to tell us that the current cost of living crisis is all conveniently due to a war in Ukraine, ignoring the fact that rises in fuel and food prices as well as the massive rise in national insurance took place long before the Russian tanks rolled across the border into Ukraine. Often the rank and file have little idea of the political wrangling and scheming at the top, but what's about to happen in this story is another example of how a mix of loyalty and fear are used to recruit support for terrible actions. And it's not the first time. Speaking truth to power is often a risky business. History is littered with stories of people who tried to stand up against the prevailing powers. Around the world, Protesters are rounded up, run over by tanks, tear-gassed and beaten for telling the inconvenient truth of what's happening, that it's wrong, or pointing out that the reasons given for something are just not true. Speaking truth to power is dangerous. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. Jerusalem itself is a character in Luke's Gospel, in the same way as we still talk about capital cities. Washington thinks, Moscow says, Edinburgh and London say Jerusalem will at first welcome Jesus on that Palm Sunday parade with the words that he forecast. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
But just a few days later, the city will turn against them with cries of crucify him. The world isn't black and white. It's not even shades of grey. The world's a kaleidoscope of colour with a multitude of opinions and points of view and strongly held beliefs and often we see that riot of colour in ourselves and our neighbours. Often that variety is life-giving and creative. Ideas colliding allows us to discover new things. Pushing against the way that things are creates tension, the tension needed to try the new. But there's a line when tension becomes conflict and we move from constructive differences to destructive conflict. We scatter and take sides. We refuse to talk. We see only division. Jesus' image of unruly chicks who refuse to be gathered under the wing of their mother hen isn't the pleasant pastoral image we often imagine. The chicks are willfully avoiding the safety of their mother's protection even when the foxes are in. Perhaps the chicks don't know the danger they're in. Perhaps they have that overconfidence of youth. Or perhaps they share that wonderful teenage quality of thinking they know everything. In 1867, the philosopher John Stuart Mill said in an address to the University of St Andrews, Let not anyone pacify his conscience by the delusion that he can do no harm if he takes no part and forms no opinion. Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. He's not a good man without a protest allows wrong to be committed in his name and with the means with which he helps to supply because he will not trouble himself to use his mind on the subject. This image that Jesus gives us is one where the mother hen shields her chicks from the fox and potentially gives her life to save her children. Anyone who's ever witnessed the aftermath of a fox in a hen house knows just what a terrible image that is. This is a prophecy of Jesus' own sacrifice at the hands of the people who have come here to warn them to stay away. The Pharisees who come to Jesus are part of the problem, even if they're not directly responsible. In large part, their failure to recognise their own part in the tension between the Pharisees and Jesus by not speaking out, their inability to confront their own fear, their decision not to speak truth to those in power is a significant contributing factor to Jesus ending up on a cross. And that leads me to wonder, where do we sit in this story? What's our identity? Who are you? Because each Holy Week I find myself confronted by the idea that I might be one of the crowd who welcome Jesus one day and shout crucify him just a few days later, or stand by and say nothing as events unfold. Or am I like Peter, who not once, not twice, but three times denies even knowing Jesus? He's scared to get involved. So who are you? Are you one of these unruly chicks who don't know any better? I'm not sure that we can claim to be that because we do know better. Are you the fox with unchecked power to do whatever you want with few consequences? Or are you Jerusalem ready to destroy the thing that threatens you? Ready to get rid of the things we don't understand or that make us uncomfortable? Ready to circle the wagons or to strike out? These don't seem like great options, especially when we realise the truth that we've probably been all of these things at some point. The good news is that we don't have to be one of these. Because surely our identity, yours and mine, should be something different. Our identity should be rooted in Christ. We should be more like the hen, gathering the vulnerable and the weak, calling to those who have wandered off and think they can manage alone. That's 
who we are called to be. That's who we are. We have sinned We have walked our own way Our love has been fickle Our hearts they have strayed So Lord in your mercy Forgive us we pray
Faithful God, we are awed by Jesus' ability to keep focused on his goals, to hold fast for choices made years earlier, now that he could see what it was going to cost him. We give thanks for all who, like him, refuse to stop caring for others, even when they meet with nothing but cruelty and rejection. Thank you for the vulnerability that never left him and was part of his strength. Such people are few and far between, Lord, and we pray for those, ourselves included, who find it hard to stick to your way of integrity and costly, unconditional love. We pray for parents trying to give their children a firm foundation in life, especially if they have not received what they needed early on to feel safe in the world. We think of the clear vision and idealism of so many of our young people and ask that they may not become too cynical too soon. We pray for politicians and civil servants, for charity and aid workers, teachers and carers, all who chose a life of public service because they wanted to make the world a better place. Many are tired and disillusioned. Some have compromised their ideals. Some have put on a hard shell of indifference because of the cost of caring and not being able to help is just too high. We pray for those who, like the people whom Jesus saw in Jerusalem, have lost their sense of purpose and direction. Those who have been let down too often to trust again. Those, again ourselves included, who cannot bear to watch or listen to the news because there is just too much suffering in the world, too many problems that cannot be solved, too many people beyond our reach to help. Loving God, may your compassion break through all our defences. May we be willing this Lent and Easter season to take just one more risk for love's sake, and in the eternal battle between goodness and evil, love and hatred, life and death, may we discover with Christ and all his faithful servants that goodness and love and life are always stronger and will win out in the end. For all these things we pray in the words you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory for ever. Amen. God is our light and our salvation. We do not need to be afraid. God is a loving parent. We are well cared for. We follow Jesus into God's world. We go in hope. We go in love. We go with God's blessing. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, with us now and always. Amen. Amen.